red five. I'm going in. Stay in attack formation. Welcome to the Trench Run Report. This is episode three, Disney Plus, Star Wars equals what? I'm your host, Justin Gray, and here also with me is... Aaron Russo, here with Justin. So, yep, uh, it finally happened. Disney Plus released its Star Wars content uh, a couple days ago, and with that was the most anticipated Star Wars live action uh, show called The Mandalorian. And the first two episodes came out, and uh, we're going to be talking about them. Yes, we are. A lot to talk about. Okay, so the uh, first half of it, we'll try to not be too spoilery about it, but later on, it's going to be like heavy spoilers from there, there on out. So uh, you have been warned. Okay. All right, so uh, so Aaron, uh, what, did, what did you think of this being like the first live-action Star Wars uh, uh, show? Uh, well, I think I I was really, obviously, there's a lot of anticipation, just like anything else that Star Wars, it's filled with anticipation, there's so much hype and so much build-up and so much that you are hoping to get out of it. Um, I, I was thinking a lot about the fact that, like, this is probably the biggest for Star Wars to, to make the transition into live-action television is really, really a big deal, especially in this day and age, and Star Wars is kind of late to the game on that, like, Marvel and all these other franchises have been doing live television for a long time. So there was a lot of buildup and it was a lot of like significance to not just Disney launching a streaming service, but Star Wars making the transition from, you know, not just from the big screen, but like also like, yeah, we've had Star Wars TV before, but it was always animated and it was definitely geared towards children. And this was the first time that it was like, here we go. Like, this is it. Like, so it was a big deal. I feel like I feel like there there was just it was a really it was a significant moment in in Star Wars history, obviously in media history. I think in just in terms of pop culture, like there isn't really a bigger moment I think than the biggest French movie franchise of all time, like transitioning into live television. So that was a big deal. I was very aware of that. Like even as we were getting ready to watch that night, it's like this is it. This is the, there's, there's you know there was before the Mandalorian and then there's after the Mandalorian. That's kind of a big deal. But I felt like in watching, sitting down and watching the first episode, I think it's very similar to like when you go see a new Star Wars movie for the first time. I feel like I, more than any other thing, it's like you, the first time you watch it, it's kind of like you're so excited and you're so into it that you kind of, it's, it's hard to like sit back and kind of just soak in what's happening because you're just really excited. But I don't know, the first episode was, I can't say that I was disappointed. I would say I was I don't know that it could have lived up to the hype and expectations because they're so high, but yeah, there it was, the first live-action episode of Star Wars on television, and I thought it was pretty amazing. I think we both felt the same way. I don't know what your thoughts were. Um, going into this, um, I knew that this would have a, a little bit of a smaller budget than a theatrical release, but by golly, the effects in there were amazing. Those blurgs looked 
uh, pretty incredible, like Jurassic Park T-Rex incredible, right. which I didn't really expect for like something under the category of a series to pull off. Because mm -hmm. um, even even when the Mandalorian was released was uh, announced, uh, I was just like, okay, the effects are not going to be like on par with the with the movies that are out right now. Yeah. Um, but by golly, they are really surprisingly good. I know. Yeah. I don't think there was any time where I felt like I was watching. I mean, I think the show the <laughs> like show a... itself is is not the same as the movies in the sense that it's kind of smaller scale and like it's much more focused at least so far and just like really one or two characters at a time mm -hmm. so it's not the same feel or the same scope as the movies but other than that i feel like it, the quality is just as good it's just as, it's just as high quality as any anything star wars has put out in the theaters um in terms of just production quality visually like i didn't feel like i was watching something that was you know like a step down from what you see in theaters um, felt very much like movie television to me, for sure, which was which was a big deal. I mean, and that I think that was that was that was part of the like I think if we had turned it on and then it was like, oh, well, this is you know a downgrade, a significant downgrade visually from the movies, then I think that would have taken away from the experience. But it really I don't I don't feel like it was. I feel like I was watching you know Star Wars movie grade production value just chopped up into smaller pieces, you know, for us to watch every week is what I felt like anyway, for sure. Okay, so um, uh, there, there was something that uh, one of my friends brought up was, he asked me, he was like, hey, Justin, doesn't the running time of The Mandalorian uh, annoy you? And I was like, uh, what do you mean? He was like, well, it, it seems like they could have gone. The episodes could have gone a little bit longer, and I'm like, mm, the pa the pacing in the episodes is not off. Like, I mean, it's not. I mean, there are slow moments in it, but it feels welcomed at that point. So, hmm. and I feel like that. I feel like it's. Plus, I feel like my friend was comparing it to something like Marvel's Agents Agents of Shield, uh, where those shows run for at least close to an hour to 45 minutes mm -hmm. but i feel like for the amount of story that they can put into a 30 minute show uh let alone have it be live action and of this uh magnitude i'm just like i'll take it i mean mm -hmm. they're doing a pretty good job so far i was definitely i was definitely surprised and i would say even a little disappointed initially when I saw the runtime of the first episode and when I saw the runtime of the second episode it was right there at a half an hour that surprised me and it I think it surprised me because I think that I'm pretty sure the expectation that most people had was we're getting one hour episodes or something close to that 50 55 minutes and we didn't um, but I'm pretty sure that's what, I don't think people were expecting half hour episodes. So I think that, I think that might've thrown people off a little bit. It did throw me off initially. I don't know that the run times are available for the up, upcoming episodes, but after watching the first two episodes, and I'm not sure why they decided to release one episode on Tuesday and one episode on Friday and then go weekly. But after watching the first two episodes that basically came out to just over an hour of runtime. 
that was one episode just broken into two as far as I, and, and like watching it it's like you know the the, the continuity of the story it, it looks like to me that they took one episode and then they broke it up and and for whatever reason and it'll be interesting to see next friday when the third episode comes out are we going to stay in that 30 to 40 minute range or is it going to bump it up to more of an hour for me personally, like if we stayed at a half an hour to 40 minutes for the entire season, I'd be disappointed just because, I mean, to me, it's, 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 it's not a sitcom. It's not a, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to, they're, they're trying to do something significant in, t- in light of live television. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I guess I think that the episodes for the time frame that they are, they work fine. It doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like they're trying to squeeze too much in. It doesn't feel like they're prolonging things. Um, they work, but I guess I just selfishly want as much content as I can get. And if I was ever, if I was going to just get half an hour to forty minutes every time, I'd be a little bit disappointed. I'd be a little bit confused. Like I'm, I don't know that that was. I think the expectation for most people was that that would be longer. Um, but I guess well, that's the fun of this, right? We're going to find out every week. Mm-hmm. how much we're getting um i think it's also like because of shows like game of thrones or westworld or other shows that really almost pump out like a movie every week sometimes um that's raised the bar for live television so i don't know if star wars is going to go there or maybe they won't go there right away i don't know mm. it'll be interesting to see yep we can go into spoiler talk now yeah well yeah we'll go into spoiler talk okay all right. So, uh, okay, now we're heading into spoiler territory. So um, we're, I'm just going to sh- get this out of the way. Uh, okay, biggest spoiler in the show. Three, two, one, Baby Yoda. What? <laughs> <laughs> that had to be the biggest... I don't know that there... I don't know that other than I am your father, that there was a more gasp kind of a moment in star wars for me in any situation other than uh, leia is luke's sister i guess but i for some reason didn't feel quite the same with that but um one thing an interesting thing though on a side note is i certainly hope i mean i, I would think that anybody who listens to this podcast has watched these shows already um but it was interesting to me a lot of people that i know from work and other areas that i know are star wars fans hadn't watched the full episodes like even a day or two after which i was really surprised by and i wonder if that has something to do with the fact that it's like well it's streaming and it's always available um and i wonder how that will affect spoiler you know conversations Mm. going forward and it's like well i've got a week to watch episode two and i had some some people in my circles that was like i was like did you watch it and they're like no not yet i'm like really Dang, like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's appointment television for me. But anyway, so so hopefully you've watched the the people who are listening have watched the episodes and and can enjoy the conversation about that. Um, but what did you think of the doing with the? I mean, they they did what is commonly called a cold open, where they kind of just they just went right into the action, and then there was a title screen. Did you have any thoughts about that, or did how did you feel about that? Um, I kind of thought that they would open with something like that. I kind of, I was 
had like a list of things like I feel like there's like certain checkpoints to pull off when uh, doing a show like that and I think exposition way way too quickly would have like offset the tone because but um but yeah I, I, I felt like it didn't damage the story at all if anything I was like okay it's it, we know who we're following like right on the first shot so it's like right. okay great yeah that's our character and that first shot was in the first footage that they ever showed mm -hmm. at uh, Star Wars Celebration, which was interesting. So that shot of him holding the bob, I guess they call it, yep. that we'd seen that shit, that shot before. Um, but I, it was interesting. Like I know there was some. There's always, you know, as as there always is with Star Wars, like people are, you know, picking apart everything about it. And mm -hmm. so there was always there was the conversation prior about like, is there going to be you know, is the Star Wars logo going to come on the way it does for the movies? Or is there going to be an opening crawl? Or how is this show going to start? Like, I remember when Rogue One came out, the big question was... Like, is there going to be an opening? Is there an opening crawl? Right. How does that look? And it, it wasn't. It was different from, mm -hmm. you know, the saga films. And, and this TV show just had no... It was just... You, you got your... What I'm, like, I'm guessing is going to be the generic kind of Star Wars thing uh, it would be on TV before. logo yeah TV so. logo or whatever and then it was literally straight into the action there was no nothing that kind of introduced the story or gave us a setting or a location or anything. it was just it was mm -hmm. just straight into the action which I thought was really cool because then when the when the pause happened and they showed the Mandalorian it just it felt good it felt it felt like it worked Mm -hmm. felt like it worked. It was like we got right into the action, but then it was like, don't Mandalorian. You know, it's like we we've already seen him. There he is. This is what he does, right? Like he's he's a he's a pretty badass guy. <laughs> and and that that was such a blatantly like that scene, that opening scene was sh so straight out of any one of a hundred Western <laughs> Western yeah, films. I've, I've, I've definitely had like a Western vibe watching this uh, from, from the opening shot to the blurbs riding oh, across yeah. the desert uh, to the shoot up uh, and just a, just, just so, a blatant so Western. It's almost like it's not even paying homage to it. It's just mm -hmm. a Western. It's like we're just doing a Western. It just happens to be filled with aliens and Star Wars characters and, and, and things like that. Um, so many of the, of the yeah, I mean, that opening sequence, just the whole, you know, people roughing up someone in the bar, and then the guy walks in, and everybody gets quiet, and then there's a confrontation, and the whole, even just mm -hmm. the bartender and the, the drinks and all that. It was very, very interesting. And I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I like, I did like the fact that the, the opening, that opening sequence was pretty, even though it was part of, I mean, it was part of the overall narrative of the episode, but really it wasn't. It was, it was just kind of like, here's the Mandalorian doing his job as a bounty hunter. And for all we, from what I can tell, like that sequence, that whole story of him finding that bounty and bringing that bounty back and it is pretty much self-contained. That part is just, that was our little introduction to him. And I thought it was great. I thought it was, it worked really well. It wasn't complicated or hard to follow. It was just mm -hmm. a really good piece of uh you know entertainment so yeah and plus uh another thing that i thought was very interesting in in the first in the first episode well mainly 
is that we kind of see like this um, un underground Mandalore uh, society. And it's kind of hinted that they kind of went through some stuff to, uh, dur during the Imperial occupation uh, that was referenced in Rebels. So did they get get their rear ends beaten or like was there like heavy losses on Mandalore? So and, and I like that not all of the answers are quickly answered. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that what, that... what are your thoughts on that? That, well, I, I really... So one thing I do have to say before we go to that part is, for me, again, being the elder statesman of this conversation, mm -hmm. seeing Carl Weathers um, in that opening story about, you know, when he comes and when the Mandalorian shows up at the bar and turns in his bounties and Carl Weathers being there. And, like, Carl Weathers, for me, like, growing up in the era of the Rocky movies, which was really... Other than Star Wars, probably one of the most iconic sets of characters in the 70s and early 80s. And so seeing him in that role was really interesting for me. Like, and but it was good. I I really liked it. I think he did a good job. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was watching Apollo Creed. I felt like I was seeing a, a, a normal character. Um, and I liked I liked the dialogue. I love those like you know like underworld conversations like mm -hmm. people have across the table in a. <laughs> In a, in a sleazy saloon or something like that. I thought that conversation was really good. So that's a thought. That's a, that was just something that I know I had to, I wanted to mention. Um, so Apollo Creed does really good hot teas. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I guess apparently, like, not to backtrack too much, but the, apparently mm -hmm. the, the, the really angry guy with the beard at the beginning of the show was speaking hot teas as well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that, that's interesting. So I don't know that we've ever heard anybody other than a hut speak Hatties, have we? I don't know. Well, Greedo, um, a bit. Greedo was speaking Hatties. Yeah, yeah and, he was speaking Hatties. Okay. And uh, I think I think Guado was in the in uh, episode one. I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, audience, but I think it was Hatties. So Anakin also did speak okay. a little bit of that too. I didn't know that. So I, didn't know that. But I thought it was cool yeah. that like get these underworld characters. Right, and they—it's kind of like, well, if you're going to be in the underworld, I guess you got to speak a little Hatties, right? Like that's like, mm -hmm. I guess it's implied. It'll be interesting to see if the Huts ever appear in the show. I would guess that they would, if people are already speaking their language, like mm -hmm. some kind of Hut. You know, obviously Java's gone already, but like the Huts have been sprinkled throughout canon. Oh yeah. Before and after Disney. Um, but yeah, so the, anyway, that second, the, the 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 underground. So so apparently, one of the things about that is that um, there was a Boba Fett or Boba Fett-like character seen in that opening hallway when the Mandalorian goes into that underground uh, mm -hmm. kind of space. Um, I haven't seen that. There's any confirmation that that actually was Boba Fett. Right. Um, I, and I, I I guess that we I'm guessing that we won't get that. That. You know, he could just be another Mandalorian. Could, mm -hmm. could be because Boba Fett was never actually a Mandalorian. Yeah, so, he was, was a bounty hunter. Right. So I guess, but it, it clearly was, you know, meant to appear to look like him. Just the color scheme of his of his helmet and, and things like that. But yeah. So yeah. So I guess like the underground that that whole scene that was the first that was I think the first moment that we got into like more of like the the lore and more of what the long term storyline is. Mm -hmm. The occurrence of the storyline is 
this guy apparently is a Mandalorian and they have this traumatic history that they are still experiencing the effects of, I guess. I, I feel like their society is probably just recovering from uh, the Empire in yeah. a way because uh, the payment that uh, the one guy gave him was uh, Beskar. Beskar Steel. Steel. Yeah. So, uh, and they were like, oh, wow, this is extremely generous. Thank goodness it's back with us. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay. So apparently this metal now is like a rare uh, thing, which they, which I guess Mandalore at one point, like that was like their main thing. Right. So. Well, so I, I wasn't really clear on if it was something that was used as currency for the Mandalorians or if it was just the material that they used think, to make their armor. I think it will, because, um, I feel like it's more of a cultural significance. If you remember in um, in uh, Star Wars Rebels when they were uh, talking about the armor, because like in that one episode, uh, they yeah in that episode, uh, Sabine created a device that uh, turned their armor against them and basically roasting uh, whoever yeah. wore it. Right, right, right. And Ezra asked, "Well, why don't you get new? Why don't you get something else to make the armor out of?" And they're like, are you kidding me? And apparently the armor is passed down from generation to generation. Mm. With that, I feel like that, with that, it's like, okay, this material is basically like really important to these people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I think that that's, that was, so what's interesting about that. So when I, I'm pretty sure when he shows him that, that piece of Beskar steel, Initially, it has a, a an imperial logo mm -hmm. embossed on it. So, but that clearly wouldn't have been from the Mandalorians, right? So it would be the like it's like you know this is we're giving this back to you. This was but mm -hmm. this was stolen from your people by the Imperials, mm -hmm. and now here's a here's a piece of it coming back to you. So that's the first hint that we get, right? That well, we also got Mandalorian refusing to receive imperial, imperial credits. credits. Um, yep. But then we get that Beskar steel, you know, like with that Imperial logo on it. And then, of mm -hmm. course, when he gets it, he immediately right melts it down and turns it into armor. Um, so it's very it's very it's very powerful. Right. There's like this whole sense that we've just started to learn a little bit more about, like, you know, the Mandalorians were apparently, you know, either annihilated and then the survivors were scattered all over the universe or something like that. And their economy was destroyed, and their their identity was taken from them, and they're trying to slowly piece that back together. Sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it's still still a lot open in that area, and I, I like, and I like that. I like I like the idea that I like that they that they just give you just a little bit of that in the first episode. Yeah, like the like even just the the blacksmith you know thing, and even like there's the great purge, and you know when it's your signet revealed yet no not yet like there's just you just get a little in the flashbacks and you just get a little bit of things and you're like hmm it makes you want to understand more and it just adds just that little extra layer of depth to the character first we just see him being a bounty hunter then we find out oh this guy's actually like a you know gonna have a complex backstory but we don't get the full backstory right initially we just get that you know yeah so almost like a, it was almost like they were like this underground community of refugees, you know, hiding, you know, underground, 
but yet it was really interesting. Like it's like it's clear that like everywhere he goes, like people have this mystique about Mandalorians, right? It's like, you know, people are like, oh, like, oh, I've never seen a Mandalorian. It's almost like that, like it's mythical, right? Like, like when you mm-hmm. see one, it's like instant, like, oh, you know, like, which is interesting. I thought that was interesting as well. I didn't quite dawn on me, but so you have that that scene he gets the that i thought it was really cool how they how they showed like i noticed when so when she melted down the beskar and put that that pauldron on his shoulder there was some blinking lights and mm-hmm. i like that in in the later on down the line in both episodes like you get a little bit more of a sense of what the armor that armor is actually you know intelligent right it's like it's got Probably circuitry it's like in it. sensors in yeah and it's a very complex system of of things not just it's not just for protection apparently looks like but yeah what did you think of the what did you think of the uh the character the the blacksmith character overall clearly a female character mm-hmm. um someone i've heard people talking about that character as being an interesting like even though she's a tradesman or tradeswoman or whatever you would say but she seemed to almost have like a higher rank than he did maybe it was higher standing in the community Mm. but hard to tell yeah um i think she's kind of cool that's all i can say at this point i don't re- there's still not a lot of information about her yet yeah. so i think we're gonna get more of that character though for sure yep definitely i think that's the character we're gonna see more. okay what happened after that what was that what was the next sequence in the show after the uh oh the blurg attack well there was yeah. the there was the meat there was the the um he gets the the information and he goes to visit um, the Imperials. They give him the bounty, and I love that scene. Oh, that was before. That yeah, was that before. was before. I'm, I'm backwards. That was before. We didn't even talk about that. Love that scene. Love the stormtroopers and how just totally just tarnished and they look terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And they but they're still you know have that Imperial like feel to them. Um, interesting scene and then you sent me that picture and apparently that's gotten some information some the doctor oh, with the Kaminoan yeah. patch on his shoulder yes i mean, totally how did we skip that I that know. that's still kind of mind-boggling me at the moment so, so if this if this what was his name dr what i forgot i forgot the character's name yeah i forgot it too um, that whole that whole encounter was also really well done i thought just mm-hmm. even though we'd seen most of it i guess in some of the footage that was released prior um I thought Werner Herzog was great as that character. I thought the face-off with the stormtroopers was great. I really wasn't paying close attention to that doctor, but then when you sent me that that picture, and then when I paid closer attention, it was like he is not wearing imperial garb. Mm-hmm. Like he did not look like an imperial. He and the color scheme of his um, what he was wearing and that patch looked very much like Camino, like kind of off blue gray like light colors yep not dark imperial colors at all um really interesting and he was the one correct me if i'm wrong Werner herzog's character was like you know dead or alive we prefer yeah. alive but dead's okay and he's like alive <laughs> we want it alive speculation on that um so i might uh like forward track to like other th- uh, moments in the episode but it's kind of interesting that they that so many wanted to kill this thing and it's like okay so who else is after him mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, that was, seems to imply, because he was so concerned about having it alive, that there was, there was you know, some someone wants to attempt to clone this highly Force-sensitive race of beings that we don't know the name of. Mm-hmm. I think it's really funny, like, like, when you have these conversations, every time you talk about the show, we don't, what do we call this, you know, Yoda character, who isn't Yoda, uh-huh. we don't know the species, and we don't have right. a name, <laughs> so it's Baby Yoda, or <laughs> that's the only thing I can think to say. But, but that was a great scene, and I loved the I loved the way the stormtroopers looked. Um, how they you know they're still Imperials, but like they just they're not they're disadvantaged at this point. They're underground. They're not you know in a place of power anymore. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, anyway, so fast forward now. Where were we at? So okay, words. So he yeah. he he shows up on. The, no, do we know the name of that planet that he? Not, not that I know of. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that they have to do a visual guide of this show. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe by se- I, I wouldn't mind it by seasons either. Um, but yeah, don't know what the planet's called. Definitely had a Tatooine um, look to it for sure. Though there is a lot more moisture there. <laughs> well, we find out that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's like more mud, if anything. Yeah. I uh, thought that the. I, I think it's. I like the, the Star Wars. Just seems to have an affinity for desert planets or mm-hmm. rock formation desert planets, and I'm fine with you know keeping that scenery going, even if it's not Tatooine or Jakku or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was a cool, cool thing. Um, yeah, and then I, I interesting. So, what did you think of the, the blur? When the when the blurbs first show up, what did you did you pick up on anything on that? Thinking that I was like, wait, weren't these things like in the Ewok? Uh... Like well yeah they yeah apparently they like were what, in some Ewok TV show yeah I'm trying to either I'm trying to remember if it was a uh, Cavern of Courage or uh, Battle of Endor I, right. I, I don't I don't remember which one yeah um but I was like oh man wow they look they look fantastic yeah um, definitely mm-hmm. impressive looking but there was something that I noticed that caught my attention so the first if you and that this could be just me picking up on this but like, mm-hmm. when he takes his gun sight. And looks the first time, and he sees the blurb like off in the distance, and he's scanning, mm-hmm. and then he puts it down, and he kind of adjusts, and then he looks again through that viewer, and then the blurb like pops up like right in his face, mm-hmm. and it really remind. I feel like it, I feel like it was a, a callback to Luke, when he oh. was looking at the Banthas, oh, and he yeah, looks the first same. time, and then he's like, oh yeah, there's something mm-hmm. down there. Then he looks again, and all of a sudden the sand people, the sand person just like pops right up in his. I felt like that was a callback to that. Maybe it wasn't intentional. It felt like it was, like just the way the viewfinder looked mm-hmm. and the way that Blur like interrupted his view. Just a, just a thought, just a thought. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting, interesting um, thing. I love that shot where like he just, when he's about to like ignite the flamethrower, his arm gets caught mm-hmm. in the mouth. That was really cool. I thought that was a cool shot. Um, but yeah, the blurbs look looked great. Um, did you did you? I didn't initially pick up on where those darts were coming from. Oh, from the Agna. Yeah, oh. I I did the the I thought I thought he was doing it. Yeah, I I was like okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't. That was not my first initial reaction though. But I was like, oh, I was not sure where, where those from? darts come from. Did he do that? They didn't show anybody on screen mm-hmm. when the first two those two darts came out, but like. But that was interesting. 
and I guess you always have, you know, Star Wars is, I guess that's another beat for Star Wars, right? Like these, these encounters with these creatures, you know, that you have to fight off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what, did, what were your thoughts on it? And we could be looking all this stuff up, but we'll just talk, right? What, what mm-hmm. was the name of this Ugnaught character? Did we get a name for him? Uh, not in the episodes uh, that I can remember, but by golly, I like this character. Um, <laughs> Do you think that they tried to make him look slightly like Nick Nolte, or no? Part of me thinks maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there was a part of it's like, he looks like an Ugnaught, but there's just, gosh, a little bit of that resemblance going on. And I don't know if they did that or not, but. Um, I know that was that was interesting, like finding out that Nick Nolte was so obviously his voice mm-hmm. from the from the get go, but just just having his voice be connected to you know a small, n- not imposing uh, physical character was interesting, an interesting twist for me. I think Nick Nolte is more like known as like a, like a very large character physically and in presence. And he took his voice and attached it to a smaller framed character who's kind of more like a kind of a zen, like he's kind of like a peace, so peaceful guy. It's not a loud person or anything like that, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. Yeah, I have spoken. <laughs> that was probably <laughs> the quote that most of my friends and coworkers kept we kept bantering about with is I have spoken. I I I've actually had some people at work and like elsewhere whenever they see the Mandalorian <laughs> apparel that I'm wearing right now, they're like, oh, I have spoken. Like, what whatever they were done. Sure. Oh, okay. Um, that, that, that one was a hot topic, I think. And then the hat was at GameStop. Um, yeah, so how do we feel about that? How do you, What were your thoughts on that sequence? You know, like, once the blurs are disarmed, disabled. And we get that kind of that next chunk of the show was the him with the Ugnaught character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought that's where the episode uh, slowed down a bit, and I and I felt like that it was welcomed. And then uh, um, uh, Mandalorian trying to ride one of them was very uh, a very big nod to like a lot of westerns that I've seen with my dad, uh, and like he kind of gives gives up in the middle, but then tries again and then gets it and then they go off on their adventure right so i like the I, th- fact I thought that, i thought that was kind of fun i like the fact that we we get you know up until that point the mandalorian comes across as very capable mm-hmm. nothing he can't do and then all of a sudden he's like getting thrown off a blurg and wants to give up and just take a land speeder and it takes this little ugnaught character to say come on man you're a mandalorian we're riding mm-hmm. this thing come on so I like I like that they gave us that like like that side of him right like he's he is a guy who can just get thrown off of a an animal and like be in the dirt like mm-hmm. frustrated or yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel like on this planet it's like yeah he, this guy is is a vulnerable character he's not like like the Jason Bourne guy that just gets all the kills all the time he right he, he misses he gets hurt uh, he gets like. Rocky beaten. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a good like, I, I like the times. I like that dynamic of like like little small tiny Ugnaught character kind of being almost like in some ways 
a mentor to him mm -hmm. in some small way, which I thought was was like a cool twist to that. Like he's this big, you know, badass Mandalorian, and here's this Ugnaught, like slowly just kind of bringing him along. Um, so then we get we get the we get to the the big the shootout mm -hmm. scene, which I thought was amazing. Um, yeah, very well done. Yeah, what are your thoughts? Thoughts on that sequence? Uh, just IG-11, dude. That's <laughs> just the, like, way he walks about and, like, just, like, the way that it just, oh, my gosh. I could just gush on for, like, how well it looks. There are some parts where it's, okay, yeah, it's not CGI. And then there's other parts where it's, like, CGI, but it's, like, oh, I can't really tell, though. Yeah. It's just so, so well done. So well done. And um, and I think I've said this before. I don't know who I was talking with, but uh, they're they're like, yeah, K two S O is also great. I was like, yeah, but there were very much times where you could tell it was CG. It was basically because of the way it moved. Uh, uh, K two mostly like moves very fluently, where uh, I G kind of clunks around and spins around, right. And does a lot of uh, more physical movements that you'd see out of out of a machine. So right. I thought that was really cool. Right. Yep. Yeah, it was definitely. I thought it was really. I, I remember again going back to my childhood remembrances. I remember going back all the way back to that first scene in Empire Strikes Back, the first time, first and only time really that we see IG eighty eight. Right. And, and I just remember always from the from the very beginning, it was like. He's like, oh, he's kind of cool to look at, but it was kind of a boring character. It was like, mm -hmm. what can he do? He looks like he's like gonna be like this like really stiff character that doesn't bend his arms and can't turn his head and like, and it's like, how is this a really badass bounty hunter? He looks like just a really awkward, like useless droid. Um, and I kind of carried that with me like for all this time, right? It's like, mm -hmm. like, and of course we saw already in the trailers like some of that footage, but, but. For them to take like what looked like a, a character that we would you would look at for for, for decades and say, how is this guy a bounty hunter? Mm -hmm. And have it like he's the baddest, the worst, like most like capable bounty hunter out there. Like he pretty much saves the Mandalorian, right? Like, mm -hmm. like seeing that in action and seeing it so well done was like a pretty cool like way to like close the chapter on that. Like, like well, this is how he would fight, you know, ever mm -hmm. since 1980. Thinking about that. Um, but I agree, like, it looked, it just was so, it really reminded me in some ways, like, just the way it was choreographed and how flawless it was, reminded me in some ways of the duel between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. Oh, really? Just in the sense that, like, you just kept wanting to watch it over and over again and catch every little move. Yeah. You know, because it was just, it was happening so fast and, like, there were so many cool little bits and pieces of what they were doing or what, what IG-11 was doing, like, every little movement, like, his arms just clicking and turning and his the way his eyes would turn and then his arm would turn and mm -hmm. it, I found myself like wanting to just rewatch that particular sequence over and over again kind of like the duel with Darth Maul and Obi-Wan it's just so much going on like so well done so well choreographed but then and also still like such a just just like literally just lifted right out of any one of hundreds of westerns you know where you have two two heroes you know pinned down behind a wall or a pillar mm -hmm. You know, shooting people off the roof. You know, and that was just great. That was a, that was a pure 
popcorn fun, right? Like that whole sequence. And mm-hmm. so well done, like so, so well executed, so entertaining for sure. Um, and the dynamic between the two characters, I thought, mm-hmm. was just perfect. Did you have any other thoughts on that? On like just, just the, the dynamic between the two of them? Um, yeah, I thought that it was kind of cool. Um, it, it was kind of earlier, it was established earlier that uh, the Mandalorian had a uh, prejudice towards droids. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that is leading to. I know that in the trailer there was like a scene with super battle droids in the same scene where he was having those flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where it began, but it's, it's still kind of early to tell. But And I thought it was kind of cool how he kind of lightened up uh towards the ig unit as they were uh um well interacting so uh at the end it kind of i feel like it how do, how do i describe it that scene where um the ig unit wants to terminate the baby yoda right. it was like he was like oh wait we're, we're bringing it in alive it was like he's like really trying to convince it mm-hmm. like he really wanted it to just like go like all right but then it was like okay well these he, this droid's not going to change for anyone so and i'm very <laughs> much and it was like all right uh okay, wow. uh well chance given i'm gonna i'm gonna do it so <laughs> i thought that the i love the i noticed that as well like the, the whole like like his aversion to droids throughout the episode and then his willingness to work with the droid, but then his willingness to blow, blow his head off mm-hmm. as soon as he has a problem with them. Um, but um, yeah, that was a great, great instant chemistry kind of between those two characters, coupled with the, the how the, the adventure, like all the shootout. Mm-hmm. But so obviously the biggest thing about that at this point, right, is, this, is, is the reveal of the Yoda-like character. Mm-hmm. What were your initial? What was your initial like feeling or thought when you? When I was you saw like, the outline of the ears. I was at first. I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, it, it, like I feel like that was like one of the only times where I was like, "It can't be," and yet it there it was. Right. Um, and. Plus, I was I was also like the Mandalorian. I was like, okay, fifty years old. I was like, oh, that kind of fifty. Oh, wow. I love that they threw you off, right? They said mm-hmm. when they when they tell you at the beginning of the episode that the bounty is fifty years old. It, it just not that we had any suspicion that this, the bounty was a baby Yoda, mm-hmm. but that immediately just put it in a different. Like you just have a totally different expectation of what the bounty is going to be. It's going to be something like an older alien or an older human being, something that would fit what we would envision. And so I love that they just completely like use that as an even stronger like misdirect so that you're just, there's no way you're expecting, you know, what looks like a baby, Mm -hmm. much less Yoda or Yoda-like character. Um, And from the moment when 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 it pops up, of course, for me, it's like, first thing I think is, oh, wait, Yoda. And then you immediately think, well, it can't be Yoda because this is after Return of the Jedi. Yoda's dead already. And then you're just like, so what on earth is going on? Like, 
We have Yoda, baby Yoda, but it's not Yoda. I have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> I was just floored. I was totally shocked. I was, I was, I would say that was probably as big a surprise as I can remember seeing in Star Wars. It was up there with I am your father or Leia's your sister, right up there. Like that reveal was pretty, didn't see it coming. Mm, yeah, same here. Totally unexpected. So, and they, and I love how uh, Lucasfilm kept that so well hidden. Yeah, too. No, like, no clue that that was coming. No, clue. now I understand. That. And I was thinking to myself, man, why did they have a toy of that? I'm like, well, duh. Yeah, they, they just were keeping it completely hidden, you know, which was brilliant. I thought that was just, it, and I think I told you this when we when we were at your house watching the episode that was on that. If someone would have told me ahead of time, hey, there's going to be a baby Yoda in the show at the end, I probably would have rolled my eyes. I probably would have said, oh, no, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think they're going to do that. They did it, and it totally worked. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, heck, even uh, IGN was like, yeah, baby Yoda was a hit. Yeah. I was like, yes, yeah, so far I haven't seen anything. <laughs> no, no one's no one's cringing. No one's having like a jar jar moment where it's like, oh my gosh, why oh, did they do that? that? No, <laughs> like this is terrible. It's 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 a, it's a yeah, and and it was such a perfect like just to give to give us that and then end the episode. I mean, that's a cliffhanger. I mean, there's no mm -hmm. way you're not going to watch the next episode it's like, <laughs> because it's such a perfect cliffhanger. I thought so. That was great. Mm -hmm. So overall, great great experience. Definitely, it, it it hit the mark. I think for the first live action uh, Star Wars that we've ever seen on television. I guess other than Caravan of Courage and the holiday special. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, big step up. <laughs> so, um... hey guys, Justin here. Just wanted to let you guys know that. Uh, due to the length of this episode, we decided to split this one into two parts to keep true to our theme of keeping our show under an hour long. So part two will be out very shortly. Thanks for listening.